Good morning, everybody. We all stand together. Let's sing. Church, you may be seated. Good morning. <laughs> I love it when you say that. I always, you know, I've told you about Bible school. Now, the proper way to do that is that the person up here comes up and says, Good morning, boys and girls. And then whoever, you know, it would be like Brother Lee. So if I came up and I said, good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. <laughs> I love that. I'm sorry. I just, that's it. Hey, welcome. Welcome to uh, Thanksgiving week. 
2019 at Eastwood Baptist Church. Our guest preacher today is Dr. Randy Cheek. Now that's not really the important news. The important news, he brought his wife Connie with him. Connie, we're so glad you're here. We're glad you brought him. Maybe. We haven't heard him yet, so. But we're glad you're here. We do anxiously await what the Lord has laid on your heart, Dr. Cheek, and we, in a, in a few moments, when I holler sick him, that means you get to come up and do that. In the meantime, I, uh, I want to speak to the visitors that are here. If you're a first-time visitor, you should have received a, uh, a red... Hold that thing up down there so they can see it. In, in my Bible. That, the black thing's my Bible. That's... There, just wave it at them. Just up, wave it like that. There you go. That thing right there you should have received. It's a, get, it's a visitor's card, and you fill that out. If you did not receive it and you're a guest of ours today, a visitor in front of you, there should be a white card that says Connect Card. And you, uh, we'd like for you to fill that out and put it in the offering plate. And then later on, we'll be able to know who you were when you were visiting with us. But in the meantime, I'm going to pray. And then you're going to stand and you're going to greet some folks around you. Not just people you always greet, but greet some of the other folks too. We're glad all of you are here today. This is a great day to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We rejoice, Father, in that this is the day that you've set aside for us to be blessed like we've never been blessed before. We anticipate that. We look forward to what you are going to say to us. And, Father, I know you're looking forward to what we're going to say back to you. Father, I pray that we would respond in the affirmative, that we would accept what we hear from you through your servant, through our music, through everything that happens, in a way that we understand this is your will for our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and greet one another.
church. You may be seated. Ushers, if you'd come forward, please, we'll have our time of offering. You know, as we near the holiday season and we begin to think about traveling and purchasing presents and all that goes with that, we don't want to forget the tithes and offerings for our church. It makes it possible for Eastwood to minister not only locally but also globally. What a blessing it is to be able to, to do this. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's an awesome experience to be in your presence. It's a humbling experience. It's a challenging experience, Father, for you to tell us things that you want us to do and and then lay before us things that we get to choose. Father, we know that as we give tithes and offerings that we get to do both. The tithe which you instruct us is what you want us to do, and an offering is what you challenge us that we could do. Give us the wisdom, Father. Give us the love and the joy to cheerfully do this, because it's your church and we're your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. we prepared uh, during our prayer time for worship this morning. It says, Lord, we thank you for our food, but if we had none, we would thank you anyway, because Lord, we're not just thankful for what you give us. We're thankful most of all for the privilege of learning to be thankful. And that's by uh, Reverend Aid B. Simpson. So as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, we've got a throwback song for you here. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's entitled, Thanks. Since I first began, you've been my dearest friend, and I give you all the praise. Thanks, 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 I give you thanks for all you've done. I am so blessed, my soul has found rest, oh Lord, I give you Even in the valley when everything's going wrong, even on the mountain, your presence makes me strong. Each and every moment and each and every day, I'm going to sing and shout, don't let the rocks cry out, I give you all the praise. Thanks, 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 I give you all you've done. I am so blessed. My soul has found rest. Oh Lord, I give you thanks. You gotta sing that with us. So blessed, my 
folks, I must tell you, I am glad to be here and be a part of you all this morning. I grew up in Cobb County. Matter of, matter of fact, this has been home for me. I was at Olive Springs for about 10 years as their pastor. And I grew up at Olive Springs. My wife and I married. We were introduced as babies at McPherson Tire Shop in Marietta by our dads. Now, somehow Connie and I don't remember that. But who would have ever thought in 1972, in particular November the 17th, God would bring us together in the form of marriage. And I was away last week, Connie and I were together away celebrating 47 years of marriage to that lady right here. You know, before I got to 47, she, she told me, she said, don't count your chickens before you hatch. You had not made it yet. So now we're working on 48, sweetie. So we're working. I thank God for Connie as far as an answer and to a helpmate to me and a team that works together. Connie and I have been that team. And we, we've been through a lot and a lot of sharing over our years together. But God has blessed us beyond anything we can ever imagine. So I want to talk to you and share with you this morning, yes, just like pastor, that's what I do. But understanding where we are and who we are, I've got just a title for you that's simply called Four Absolute Promises from God. Now here we are coming up to Thanksgiving. Those things, these four promises, folks, you'll understand, we are thankful to God for them. Very much so. But what do they mean in the light of where we are? First, yes, as a church. Secondly, as an individual, me, Connie, you all. Where are these four promises and what they mean for us? Now, we're going to deal with one verse this morning. I'm not going to be long. I'm going to be very simple and to the point. And when you leave here in just a few minutes, I want you to take these four promises right there from the Word and use them this week as you thank God for the four things that are in the promises. I'll never forget, folks, when I was a kid, growing up on South Cobb Drive in Marietta. We grew up, and I did, my brother and I and our family, right across the street from what's now Kennesaw State University, the old Marietta Vocational School. South Cobb Drive was two lanes, not six and eight lanes like it is today. And I used to ride my bike up and down South Cobb Drive in the 50s and 60s. So a lot of changes have gone on during those days. But I remember at Christmas, that was in the days of the aluminum Christmas tree. Do any of you all remember aluminum Christmas tree? Thank you, I'm in the right house. Let me tell you what. And my dad said, Ren... <clears throat> Why don't you go plug in the color wheel? Do you remember the color wheel for the aluminum tree? I can, I'll never forget, our window that faced South Cobb Drive was about right here. The piano sat right here, and over here was the front door. And here we are setting up all the Christmas decorations. And I was probably about five or six, seven years old. It's something I have always done that before. Why should the day be any different? So I remember going over there, taking that plug like I had always done, and about a split second before I hit that plug, that thing barked back at me with, fire and brimstone, folks. I mean, for a six-year-old, I ran and jumped in my dad's arms. My hand was black, or fingers were right here with the soot and whatever. And so, to this day, we don't know what happened to that socket and why I got shocked like I did. Now, mind you, it wasn't a major shock, but let me tell you, it was a death blow for a six-year-old, seven-year-old. And I still, yes, remember that. Matter of fact, I remember that to this day. It instilled such a fear in me of electricity that if I repair anything in my house that's got anything to do with electricity, folks, I just don't turn the breaker off to the switch. I shut the whole house down. I do, I'm 67 years old. I will still shut the whole house down or I won't work near or around. I admire, if you're an electrician, I admire you because I would not do what you do. God called me the pastor not to plug in sockets like that. But I, but you know, I remember that put such a fear in me and it has lasted all of these years. My son's a police officer. I'm chaplain with Cobb Police. 
My daughter's an epidemiologist. I've got them all around me and whatever. But I, I got a chance one time. My son used to be with Cobb County Police for about six years. He's now with Dunwoody as a sergeant. But I remember as chaplain with Cobb, I've been with him about 14, 15 years as a chaplain. And I rode with my own son. I remember going one time to an accident with him, and we were running code. We were lit up with lights and sirens. We were going across to 75, around the curve, going up to 75 north, where there had been a head-on collision. And we got there, and my son looked over to me as we're driving through 285 and 75, massive traffic, massive traffic, trying to get through. And he looked at me and says, Dad, you didn't teach me to drive like this, trust me. But just hold on. I know what I'm doing. We'll get there. And sure enough, we got there. But I remember... The fear at the scene of that accident, of those folks in that accident. I remember the fear and think of the fear as I, as I know my own boy and what they face every day. I remember the fear that this world lives in where we turn the TV on, folks, and we look at, and listen to what we, we hear and who shot who, who killed who, who did this, who did that, did that. It's almost to the point people are turning off their news. They don't want to hear it anymore, second of all, and we're terrified. We've closed ourselves up in our houses. We've gotten to that point that we are afraid to go around. We, my son even says, Randy, he looked at me, he says, Dad, so many times as a police officer, I look over my shoulder wherever I am, even in the inner city of Dunwoody. I went to Isaiah 41.10. That's the scripture. I want you to turn there with me. And as you do this morning, it's a simple scripture. It's simply based. It's powerful words. But... There was a group of people in that day and time that were being faced with fear amongst fear amongst fear. The people of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, would take them into captivity. It happened first in 597 B.C. where the king came in and he took a few of them. And finally in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came in from the north and leveled Jerusalem and took the children of Israel and put them in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Yes, they had sinned against God. Yes, they had messed up and whatever, but now they had to leave their homes immediately. They couldn't take anything with them, and they were put in some God-forsaken place. These people were now terrified. What's going to happen to me? How am I going to find my next meal? What about my boy? What about my son? What if the same thing happened today? Wouldn't we have those questions that we would ask today? Are we asking those same questions even as our churches? And right now, folks, at Eastwood, what's the next week bring for Eastwood? What about the search for a pastor? What about our congregation coming together? Are we going to lose people? Are we, do you see the questions? Fear, fear. Greek people had a word for that. It's called phobeo. One of the words that's used for fear. And yes, that word, when translated in one or different ways, can mean exactly what it says, terrified, scared to death. And I would imagine most of us in this house have experienced some kind of fear like that in our life. So y'all, what do we do? How do we get through the days ahead? How do we as believers work day by day, minute by minute? I am convinced it is these four absolute promises. And I use the word absolute to mean exactly what I said. These are not up for discussion. These promises are God's, in fact, promise to you that he says he will do no matter what. You can take it to the bank. You can stake your life on it. God said it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It is done. That's the four promises I'm talking about. And then we take them and bring them right here home. And we say, God, what's next? Yeah, we, there's fear. Yes, our emotions is, are running wild. We don't know how we're going to be able to do what we do. We don't know what is going to come next. But God, help, help. 
is our cry to the Lord. Isaiah 41.10, I want you to look at the word of God. Simple words, here it is. God tells the children of Israel. Those chapters in Isaiah 40 through 55, he's talking to the exiles. He's talking to the people who have just been taken into bondage and now are in this. And they needed encouragement. They needed help. They needed a good word from God. I bring you a good word, an incredible word from God. Listen to this. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can end, go home, and take these, this one scripture with us this week and trust that and wow. But I just want to walk you through these four promises real briefly. And I hope something that I maybe can share with you, not that I am infallible in any way, form, or fashion, but I do believe in my heart, humbly speaking, I have God's word for today. But folks, y'all got to understand, this old preacher hears it a lot louder than you do. And every sermon for 47 years, 45, 46 in ministry, 45 in ministry that I've preached, God brings home free to me every sermon I preach. So when I walk out this door, what throughout this week, God is going to bring me to these four promises. And he's going to say to me, Randy, you remember what you preached to this side? Here it is. And I hope they'll help you. I hope they'll guide you. Not only is, yes, the body of Christ, but individually. Here's the first promise. The first promise. There it is written. Do not fear. Fear not. For I am with you. Now, in the Hebrew language, that word right there in verse 10, fear not or fear. It's a word in Hebrew we pronounce Yahweh. Folks, you, you, one thing you, you're going to have to know about, I love the languages. I spent a lot of time with the Greek and Hebrew, and I love it. Not I only you know three or four or two little guys, but however tall they are, I'm not a, I'm not a professional at this. But in seminary, we had what we call baby Greek and baby Hebrew, and the reason we called it baby Greek and baby Hebrew because you stayed up with it all night long trying to learn the stuff. But I and I oh, you know, but I in that course of that, I fell in love with, with the languages because the languages, the original languages, and some Aramaic, but both, but but those two Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew with the Old Testament, Greek with the New Testament. There's so much behind those words that if we can get behind that, we can see the the gut-level context of what was being said at that moment. So when the Lord looks to the children of Israel, and he says to them, and the Lord looks to Eastwood Baptist Church this morning, and he says, don't you fear. He means it. Fear there, that word simply meant, but this is the word for fear, and yes, it can be translated to be terrified and all that, but it means, it, it, it is a word that, that says, yes, but don't, that fear you will have, that fear, yes, is part of life, but God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So he says, take that fear, and whatever you do, don't let that emotion, don't let that fear control you. Because I'm telling you, don't be afraid. Folks, I don't know the future for us. But I do know who does. And God does. So at this Thanksgiving season, the first thing we need to understand, don't fear. It's hard to tell a society that doesn't know Jesus Christ. But you in this house who have a personal relationship with the Lord, you know what that means. It's still hard to do, folks. We are human, sinful people. The question is, what do we do as a church in terms of not fear? But then the Lord puts a little addendum to that because he says and he tells us, oh, by the way, incidentally, I told you not to fear. And here's why you don't need to fear. He says, for I am with you. I went back and looked the language at a word I am, and I went back to the Septuagint, that's simply the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the way that I am is treated there in the languages, it's a, it's a little word in the Greek called ego and I, and, and I me. Ego is a word, not the egg you eat 
or the stuff you buy at the store. But ego is the first person singular of, 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 of I. I. I, me, E-I-M-I, I, me, is also the word that simply means I. So literally it says I, I am. And I think of the Greek language, why in the world would they put two eyes together? It's translated I am. We can see it in the English language. But why would they put ego, I, me? Why those two words in particular? And then I remember going back and looking to the Old Testament Remembering what the Word of God says to me. And I went back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Now, I don't have that printed for you on the screen. Just listen. Just listen. You'll recognize the story of Moses and what's going on at the burning bush. Then Moses asked God as he stood at the burning bush, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is your name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, Guess what? Remember those words? I am, that I am, but I am. In the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those words, I am, are translated ego, I, me. That's why I am is with you. Let me tell you what that means. I am became a big word. It's called the Tetragrammaton in the Old Testament. It's the four consonants, Y-H-W-H. There were no vowels in the original Hebrew. They were added 500 years later by the Masoretes, by those little dot and dashes if you read it from right to left, back to front. But those little dots and ashes, the dots and dashes and whatever that's put there, that Tetragrammaton, big word that means four consonants, whenever you see it in the Old Testament, your scripture will translate it in full caps, Lord God. It is the name Yahweh. And what the Lord is saying, I don't want you to be afraid because God is in the house. End of story. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God said it. Folks, that one has, that one's taken me through a lot just to know God's with me. Ah, you're kidding. Little old me, I'm insignificant. Who cares about He, listen, God's numbered all these hairs up here somewhere. That's how special I am. Church, don't you be afraid, for I am with you. Wow. Gets better. Number two, number two, God says this in verse 41, verse 10. Do not be dismayed, for I am, oh, there's that word again, your God. Well, then we get that word dismayed. What does the word dismayed mean? I know it, you know, we stand, don't be torn down, don't be brokenhearted, don't be, we all have our human understanding of being dismayed, disenchanted, whatever. But the word in the Hebrew is the word sha'ah, S-H-A with an A, sha'ah. And it, it is a word that simply, it, it, it's a word and it's sometimes translated fear, and you see it in translations like that too. But it's, it, it means don't let that, don't be dismayed. Don't let such fear, don't, don't let it control who you are. So many times as a church, and folks, it's not my first rodeo. I've been there. I know what that's like. We get the fear part, and then what sets in, it begins to control our thinking. And boy, it can mess up our hearts and minds. You think he's really doing the right thing? Is, is what she said right? No, maybe we ought to go with what they said over here. Nobody begins to ask the question, what does God say? Ouch. Well, I've had to be reminded of that. God has to hit me up the head every day just to remind me, listen to me, Randy, not you. We all think we can do it better. We all think we've got the best way to do this. Trust me, folks, we, we don't. I've always wanted to have God make sure he stays according to my schedule. There has not been one time in my life in 47 years God has done it the way I thought it ought to be done. Don't you be dismayed. 
Don't you get disenchanted. Don't you think, well, I'll just go to greener grass. I'll just do this. No, you be right here. Put hunker down with the people of God right here and understand that my God says that he is, doesn't want me to be dismayed. But then he changes the kind of postscript to the end of that. In the second one, he says, for I am your God. The I am there is the same thing. You've got to understand the people of the children of Israel, the polytheistic world in many gods, a little God for this, that, and the other. And he said, I am your God, capital G, I am Yahweh. That's what it says. I am God. Who can stand against us when God is our foundation? Our battle is not with flesh and blood in this world. With spiritual warfare, our battle is with Satan and the demons of hell who would like to try to come in and destroy who you are. Yes, as a church, but he wants you, folks, Satan does. And here is the prime time to understand that. Here is the time when Satan says, I got him, I got him. I can get them one by one by one. You hunker down because God Yahweh is your God. And when you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life, what happened to you was this. You became the adoptive son of God, just like a, a real son. But you know what else? God took you and covered, covered you with his blood from the top of your head to the bottom of the soles of your feet. If any Olive Springs people were here this morning, they would say amen. They heard that over and over and over because I believe it. it. You are covered by the blood of Jesus from the top of your head to the bottom of the soles of your feet. Why should we be able to be in heaven? Sin will never be allowed in heaven. How can you and I get there? The only way is that through the precious, beautiful blood of Jesus that has covered us from the top of our head to the bottom of the soles of our feet. And it has sealed us. So when we stand before God and we look at God himself, God will look at us and he won't see this, but he'll see the blood of Jesus that's covered us. It's called justification. It's called being sanctified. It's called being cleansed, as 1 John 1, 9 says, by the very blood of Jesus. Don't you be dismayed, folks. Church, for I am your God. Here's the third one. Very simple. Almost done. Listen. It says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Now, the word there in the language, the Hebrew language for the word strengthen, is a word that means to physically strengthen. Yes, it is used to build up the physical body. It's the word ames in the Greek, I mean in the Hebrew. It's a, it's a word that means to fortify, to harden, to increase, to prevail, to strengthen, to be made strong. It refers to both the mental and the physical every way. Look at what God is saying. I'm not only going to be with you, I am your God, but I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you as you gather together in the committees and the group and the personnel and all this, whereby they come bringing together their knowledge, but God is in the center of them. Trust what they do. You've put them in that position. Let them do under God what they must do and allow God to use what they share with you as they move out in these next few weeks and months together. Why? God says, I'll strengthen you. And you pray for every one of them, folks. You get on your face before God, and you pray like you've never prayed before. God, just cover them with your blood. Make sure that what they do, what they think, what they say, none of it's human. Everything is godly. Wow. See, I mean, how much this is like serving steak. I mean, this is meal from God. I'll strengthen you. And then he says this. He puts another, I love this. After all these, there's this little postscript. But the postscript sometimes even better than the first statement. He says, I will help you. I will help you. You've been there with that word. How many of you every time have, have, have helped someone? You've helped them get out of bed. You helped them sit down. You held a door for them. You got them up. You did this. and more. That's what that word means. It just means to help somebody. 
means exactly what it says. I remember my dear dad, he went home to be with the Lord in 1973, but as a kid, we were going up Sandy Plains Road, crossing at the railroad track just before you can turn to go down the Noonday Baptist Association. Sandy Plains Road was a two-lane road there, and I was sitting in the back seat in the old 58 Chevrolet, and I remember us going up that hill, just, you know, this, it was a little bit more of a hill than what it is now over there, but I can remember my dad stopping the car. It was absolutely pouring torrential rain, much like yesterday, and I remember dad got out with an umbrella, and I'm thinking, what is my dad's, what's going on here? And he saw a man that was lying on the railroad tracks. And he went over, and I don't know what happened. If he fell, if he was drunk, if he was passed out, I don't know the whole circumstance. Because, I, again, I, I was very young. But, but I do remember. Dad didn't have to stop, but he did. He got out and went over there, and he helped that man. He stayed with him. The police and ambulance got there and whatever. And I never really knew what happened. I just knew that my precious, precious dad helped that man. That's the word. God says, when you think I'm not there, when you think all is lost, when you think you're running into every wall there is to run in, don't you forget, I said, I will help you. And I'll pick you up. <laughs> the Lord's picked me up so many times. I don't deserve a bit of it. But God's picked me up. Has he picked you up? Yeah, you know those days. You know what I'm talking about. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will pick you up. I will help you. And here's the fourth one. The fourth one says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will uphold you. Now, I want you to look at these. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And now he closes it out in one verse here with, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Hebrew word here that's used here is a little word we just simply pronounce tamak, T-A-M-A-K. Transliterate, write it in the English language, where you can say it, it's probably T-A-M-A-C-K, tamak, or however you want to say it. But the word simply means this. The best way to tell you is illustrate it. My boy who's the sergeant, who's the guy who could hurt his old dad now, I'm just going to tell you. But I remember carrying that little boy around and holding him. He was our miracle son. Never wanting to let him go. You know how dad, dads, we do that to our sons and daughters. And I remember holding on to him. He had a mortal fear, folks. And his mortal fear was a dog. I don't care if it was the miniature of Chihuahua you could ever find or if it's like my daughter's great Dane Lexi. It did not matter. Then my son would be terrified of anything with four legs. Tail wagging didn't matter. He was terrified. Michael would get a hold of me. He'd crawl up my legs, grab a hold of me. I can still feel almost those little arms about to choke off my breath. He was, and he and his feet wrapped around me, absolutely terrified, would not let go of me. And I held on to that boy until this day. I love it when he comes up to me in all that weapon, uniform, and whatever, and you're out in public, and I don't ask. I mean, he does, that's just what we do. We love each other. That's my boy, you know. And he comes up to his mom and me, and he puts his little big old heavy arms around us. And I know the people say, what's that police officer doing hugging that man? Then they look at us, and, oh, it's got to be his dad. But still, I will uphold you. The word tamak in Hebrew means to hold like I held my son. Now, hang on. This is so good. What God's promised you he's going to do is hold you. <laughs> he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. He's going to hold you. You grab onto him. Don't you let go of him. And you watch what God does with you. He says, I am going to uphold you. And how is he going to uphold you? With my righteous right hand. You remember that blood I told you about from the top of your head to the bottom of the soles of your feet? That's how it's done. The righteous powerful who God is. It is the right hand. The right was always the symbol of power. God is the symbol of power as righteous God. He is judge. You better believe it. He judged our sin. Our sin put a savior on the cross for every sin we would ever commit. 
But now his righteousness comes to us through his blood from the top of our head to the bottom of the soles of our feet. Until this day, God is holding on to us and will not let his child go. Folks, that becomes shouting ground for Southern Baptist. To just to, I know you've heard this. I'm preaching to the choir. I know that, but especially now. Right now, I need to, if you don't need to hear, I do. I need to hear this myself in my own life. Let me ask you something. Has there ever been a time in your life where God has brought you to the point that you could do nothing else but trust God? Now think about that. Many of you that's happened to. My wife and I, in 1976, were leaving a church member's house in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. That was our first stint at Southern Seminary for about four years, working on my Bachelor of Divinity. And I remember we were coming home. We, we left that church member's house that night. We went over to have dinner with them after church. And I remember reaching to grab my coat. I remember reaching to grab Connie's coat. And the next thing I remember was about a week later in a hospital room. Connie doesn't remember anything for nine solid days and really for about two complete weeks other than getting her coat. They tell us when we got in our little VW bug and we were heading back on Highway 44 in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, back to our house, that some folks who were AWOL from Fort Knox were drunk and were speeding and they hit us head on in a VW bug running about 80 miles an hour, knocked us back 248 feet, spun the car around, and the battery in the VW bug was now in the street. Connie was laying in the ditch, and whoa. They pronounced us both DOA. God knew something different. I remember four days later when I really woke up, Connie was not around me. And I, I said, where's Connie? I mean, I, no, nobody would tell me. And then my pastor at Olive Springs, Doug Johnson, and the pastor I worked with, John Meadows, at First Baptist Shepherdsville, I was on staff there. What they told me is that they sit with me for over about a day trying to, I was in and out so much with everything going on in the machinery around me, and we tried to explain what had happened. You see, because Connie wasn't there, I thought she was dead because I knew where Connie would be. She knew where I would be if I was her. She didn't know I was in the world. She was completely, totally unconscious. Some of you met my wife this morning. She was paralyzed on the right side for about two years as a result of that. She had a serious head injury. What's the chances of us surviving? Didn't look good. Dr. Peter Kirsch was my orthopedic surgeon. He came in one night. I think Jimmy Carter was being elected. I'll never forget. And I was laying there in, in intensive care. And he said, Randy, we got to do two things. I had found out that Connie was in intensive care. I had found out that she was still unconscious, but her, the sweating in her brain was going down. And it's still touch and go. We don't know yet. Connie's mother and dad were here. My father had already died in 73. My mother was in Louisville with us. And I remember Dr. Kerr saying, Randy, I can put you in a body cast from your neck down. You'll be in it from six weeks to three months. The chance of phlebitis setting up in your left leg, which is so damaged. The femur was broken. The muscles were broken. My left side was in bad shape, to say the least. We can put you in a body cast, you'll be that way, but if infection sets up within three days, 72 hours following the surgery that we would have to do, we'd have to amputate your leg. So now I've got two choices here. I can be in a body cast from six weeks to three months. I, I, some of you all don't know me well, but I think you figured out about right now. If you put me in a, well, I just know, Lord, please. I can still remember, and I can still feel it. People think I'm crazy. I can still feel the finger of that orthopedic surgeon across my right, my left leg when he said I'd have to remove your leg right here. You see, what they were going to do is put in then an 18-inch stainless steel rod, reconstruct my left leg, redo all this. The surgery then was going to be an extremely long surgery, about 12 hours. This is serious stuff. Randy, you've got to make a decision. I need to know in the morning at 8 o'clock, do you want a body cast? Do you want the surgery? 
Everybody gone. Connie's in intensive care, couldn't call her. Mother had already gone back to the hotel room. C.W. and Lois, Connie's mother and dad, they had already left. My brother was already, it was late at night. And folks, I'm laying there in intensive care. And I said, Lord, I've acted like a fool. In some respects, I've blamed you for what's going on, but that's not true. Lord, I need to hear from you. Do I have the surgery? Do I have a body cast? For the first time in my life, God brought me to the point that I had to trust him completely. I didn't know. I'd been in Clyde Francisco's Old Testament class. He became such a dear friend over those years. And I'll never forget, I went back to the book of Habakkuk that he loved so well and taught us so well in that book. And I remember Habakkuk going into his watchtower and saying to God, God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to shut my mouth and just listen to you. And I told God, it's high time I just shut up. I got to hear from you, Lord. I got to hear from you. Folks, I don't know what time it was. Probably midnight, I guess. But there was a presence of God in that intensive care room of St. Joseph Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky that came into that room. No, it wasn't a ghost. Don't misunderstand me. God was in the house. And here's what he said. Didn't say it in any audible voice. You know? He said these words to me. Randy... You have the surgery. You and Connie will be completely healed. Still hard for me. I am not finished with either of you yet. All of a sudden, folks, there was a peace in that room. From that moment on, I didn't worry. And I knew what I needed to do, have the surgery. But let me tell you the even most exciting thing. The next morning, Connie's neurosurgeon, the gels, my brothers, there were two of them, came into my, my room, and he, they were smiling. And they said, Randy, we have good news. Connie's awake. Four promises, folks. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Such incredible, incredible, incredible words. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. And I will hold on to you, as the scripture says, with my righteous right hand. This morning, let me ask you one question. Do you believe that? You believe those four simple statements that are so profound. Folks, we'll walk with you. We'll walk beside you. We'll walk around you. We'll help you as you walk through these four. But then let me tell you something. For you all in here, if everyone, perhaps you know Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's no doubt in your mind that if you died today, you would be in heaven with Jesus. I buried a dear, dear friend yesterday at Eastside. I did his funeral. He was diagnosed with one of the rarest forms of leukemia six months ago. And he went home to be with the Lord Saturday a week ago. And he always told me, buddy, said, Randy, you don't worry about me. God's going to heal me either on this earth, if he chooses, or at home. Either way. And I'm talking about a man with a Ph.D. who is a professor at Mercer University. Let me tell you, he loved Jesus. Do you know Jesus? If there's anything I can do to help you or be a part of you and help in any way, I would love to do that. But as a church, let me call you to commitment this morning of these four promises. Absolute, not up for discussion promises. And ask you, would you be willing to commit over these next few weeks to take these with you everywhere you go in these next few weeks? Put them, 
on your, write them out however you want to do it and put it on your mirror, your dressing mirror where you see them every day. Use them in your devotion. Write them and put them somewhere and trust them as you walk as a church each day in these next weeks and months ahead. Wow. God will bless and God will give you strength. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these dear people. And you know, Lord, none of us know the future. We know you. You've got the future in your hand. Teach us today, and may we be encouraged. May we be excited. May we be fulfilled because of just one simple verse. 10 of chapter 41 of Isaiah. To a group of people who needed to hear such good, encouraging, strong words. And now, Father, here we sit in the 21st century. Oh, boy, we need to hear those same words right now. Thank you, Lord, for these folks. Will you bless them? Will you strengthen them? And, Lord, today, may this day be a day of salvation for some in this room. May it be a day of recommitment. Your will be done. Father, thank you for allowing me to preach your word. I've done that to the best I know how to do. And I pray, Lord, that your word is exactly what it is to these folks, that as your word says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword ever even able to pierce to the very center of the marrow of our bone. Oh, Father, do that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You did not wait for me to draw near to you. But you clothed yourself with frail humanity You did not wait for me To cry out to you But you let me hear your voice Calling me And I'm forever grateful To you stood in hospital rooms with officers and have basically said the same thing and we've got the same response because we don't know where to go from here let me share you what the what the response is yes Lord yes Lord I'm going to ask uh, Eric and, and the band if they would sing that song again. Some of you need to join me here in the altar and, and just publicly say to God, yes, God, count on me. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm going to do. This is, this is me. Some of you can do it right where you're sitting. Some of you are looking for church homes and you're wondering, is Eastwood the place? I can answer that for you, yes. But you'll have to come down and say to me, I want to be part of Eastwood. There might be somebody here that say, I'm as lost as a person can possibly be. And all I, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I need Jesus. Dr. Cheek and I are going to both be here in the altar to receive you. They're going to sing another, sing another verse of that song. I'm going to ask you to respond. Not out of shock, not out of awe, but simply out of obedience and just say yes Lord yes Lord did not wait for me to draw near to you but you clothed yourself with frail humanity you 
did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me, and I'm forever grateful to you. for just a moment. Got a few announcements we want to make. Is that a good message? Amen. I wrote it for him. I've lived it, I've lived it with him, so I understand that indeed. Announcements. This is the holiday season. This is a, a holiday week. We will have services tonight, but we will not have services Wednesday night. Office will be closed uh, the 28th and 29th. Other activities that are in here that you can see, and I'd ask that you read these on your own. Some of these are coming up close. They're about to happen. Some of them there are going to be a ways off. You know, we are only as strong... Uh, as we are together. And we are strong together. Much stronger than we are individually. Yet we are individuals and we like to do our own thing. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Do your own thing with somebody else. Stand with me. We're going to have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and for your care over us. Father, we have heard from you. That's been our prayer. That's been our plea. Father, we pray the rest of this week that we not only continue to hear, but that we put into practice what we've heard. Thank you for loving us, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 